Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 5. Now, if you haven't been here for our study of Zechariah, there's no way I can bring you up to speed. But the, uh, the purpose of this book is to challenge the people of Israel. They've come back into the land after the 70 years of captivity. Uh, they had come back into the land, had begun building the temple. They had left off building it for several years. Then Zerubbabel, the governor, comes in. Haggai, the prophet, challenges them uh, to rebuild, and they begin rebuilding. And Zechariah, the prophet, he prophesies at roughly the same time as Haggai, and he's challenging the people to continue building the temple. In the first part of the book of Zechariah, there are ten different visions uh, where God gives information about what he's going to do in Israel and later. And then we're going to get into some specific prophecies about the second coming and the tribulation that are coming up. You're not going to believe, as we get into Zechariah further, you're not going to believe the specific detailed prophecies about the future that are so clear that uh, it's it's just mind-blowing. When I began this study, one thing that I found was all of the commentators that I would look at said that Zechariah is the most difficult book in the Bible to understand. And as I've been reading it, I can see why people say that, because the visions are difficult. But when you get into the second part of the book, it's not hard to understand at all if you believe what it says. If you're looking for the allegorical message, we were talking about that some in Sunday school, if you're looking for the allegorical message, good luck. You know, it's like looking for the allegorical message in the light that's blinking on your car that says you're about to run out of gas. What's the deeper meaning? The deeper meaning is you're going to be walking if you don't go to the gas station, right? Some messages, uh, while profound, are very simple. If you don't eat, you will die. You don't breathe, you will die. Is that right? You don't listen to your mom, you will die, okay? Some messages, while profound, they're very simple. And much of what we find in Zechariah, it's very simple. If you just believe what it says. Andy Joins said to me on the way in here this morning that, you know, when he's talking with people about the Bible sometimes who have not been in a church like ours, they'll say, I've never thought of it that way. I've never thought of it that way. Or, or you speak with someone about something that's going on in the world politically. And, you know, like these non-essential workers, these 800,000 non-essential workers. How many of you think that it's a problem when we have 800,000 non-essential workers? Isn't that interesting? It's Sometimes, you know, when I'm gone and the church keeps running really smoothly, I wonder if I'm the non-essential worker that's here. When the world continues running smoothly, when the government shut down, maybe we don't need the government that much. Not a political message, just a truism. Some things, while profound, are very simple. Now, this morning, we're going to look at some things that are not simple, but they're very profound. Look at Zechariah chapter 5. We're going to start reading through, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 this morning. But in this chapter, in this chapter, there are three UFOs. Let's look at the first one. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. Now, I know some of you are thinking cinnamon roll, you know, (laughs) a a pecan roll or whatever. 
what are those uh, Swiss rolls? Is that the Little Debbie? Yeah, that's not what this is. Um, <laughs> a flying roll. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. <laughs> Can you imagine? Check it out. There's a flying roll. And he says, and I answered, a flying roll. The length thereof is 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof is 10 cubits. All right, cubic is roughly 18 inches. And so this is 30 feet by 15 feet. That's a big roll. Now, what is this talking about with a roll? Well, think of scroll, all right, because he unrolls it, and there's writing on it. There's writing on both sides of it. We'll see that in a minute. So picture a scroll. Now, I wonder, and I've not read this anywhere. This is just in my own mind. We know what a scroll looks like. It has uh, two handles, two sticks, and you roll it out, and as you roll it, you roll it off of one and onto the other, right? This just says roll, so maybe it's just like a roll of carpet, that's rolled up and has kind of like a flying carpet here. How about that, right? It, it, and it has writing on each side, so it's a roll. And so I wonder if the sk means two sticks. I don't know. But do you see the things you get here? That's in the original language. Sk means extra stick. Um, so it says here that the size of it. The length thereof is 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof is 10 cubits. That's in the middle of verse 2. Look at verse 3. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. And every one that stealeth shall be cut off, as on this side according to it. And every one that sweareth shall be cut off, as on that side according to it. So it's like it's got two laws written on it. Thou shalt not steal on one side, and thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain on the other side. You have two commandments, one on each side. One on this side, one on that side. And then look at what it says in verse 4. And I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house, and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. Interesting passage. Let's pray and we'll try to understand it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, this is one of those um, very interesting passages. Lord, I think that you put these things in the Bible for us to search them out, to find them, to understand them. Lord, we don't deserve what you give us, um, but you have given it to us freely. And so, Lord, this morning, help us as we study your word. And Lord, I think that there are some things that will convict us today, as it already has me in my preparation of this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, keep your place in Zechariah, but go to Proverbs chapter 25. We looked at this passage in my Sunday school class downstairs. Proverbs 25. <clears throat> Look at verse 2. Gary Yates in the class this morning asked this question. It's a very good question. We looked at the two witnesses last week and we determined by comparing Scripture with Scripture that those in um, Zechariah, the two witnesses there, are Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. And then those mentioned in Revelation chapter 11 are Moses and Elijah. And Gary asked this question, why doesn't it just say it's Moses and Elijah? 
Well, look at this verse. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Well, the Bible in Revelation chapter 5 says that we are kings and priests before God. We are. Now, we all understand the priesthood of the believer. We get that, that there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We now have access to God. You don't have to come to me and have me go to God for you. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, He is making intercession for us that now we have access to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Well, what is that? That's the priesthood of the believer. That whereas we used to need a priest and then a high priest, now our high priest is Jesus Christ and every saved person is the priest. Is that right? That's the priesthood of the believer. That's one of our Baptist distinctives, one of the things that makes us different from, say, Catholicism or Anglicanism. We don't have priests to, before whom you go and confess sin. We confess our sin to God directly through our high priest, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And the Bible's very clear on that, that Jesus Christ is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the only one that was the priest and the king, and that's Jesus He's our priest and our king. But we are, king, we are priests. We understand that. The Bible says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Right? That you should show forth the praises of the one who's called you. That's, that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. We show that because we are now a royal priesthood. What is a royal priesthood? Priests and kings. That's us. So that kingship that the Bible has promised to us as believers, well, here the Bible says that it's an honorable thing for us to search through the Scriptures and find out the things that God has hidden for His glory. Isn't it wonderful? How many of you have ever seen something in the Scriptures and you look at it and it kind of gives you goosebumps and you say, praise God, right? That, why did God hide those? So you could get those goosebumps and so He could get that glory. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so here in this text, there are some things that if we will compare Scripture with Scripture, we'll find the things that God has hidden and revealed in His Word. Some of the things are hidden. Some of them are clearly revealed. But if you've not seen them before, they've been hidden. Right? So we're going to make it very clear for you this morning. All right, so we see this roll. The roll is 30 feet by 15 feet. What's the significance of that? We're not going to take the time to show you all the dimensions, but the tabernacle in the wilderness, the tabernacle in the wilderness was 30 by 15. It was this same size as this scroll. The, in, in 1 Kings, when the Bible lays out the temple, the, the, the porch in front of Solomon's temple where the people would gather before entering in to worship God, that place is the same size as this scroll. So on the scroll, we have the third commandment and the eighth commandment. The third commandment and the eighth commandment. Now, I want you to think about something. The third means that there are two before it, right? See, see you can't, you might have a doctorate or whatever in math, but you can't do math like me, okay? So you've got the third one. That means that there's two before it. How many of you are with me so far? Try to stay with me. This is tough. All right. Now the eighth commandment, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. All right. That means if there's ten, that there are two more after that. How many of you are still with me? Okay. 
So what does that mean? That this is the heart of the law. This is the heart of the law. So you have this role that has the heart of the law. Don't steal. Don't take my name in vain. Don't swear by my name falsely. That's what it says in verse 4. So thieves steal. People who swear falsely, they're taking the, the, the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I, I feel like we have done the Scriptures a disservice by the idea of taking the Lord's name in vain as we call it swearing. Is that right? And it's just where you use God's name as an expletive. We think that's what it's saying. No, it, what it means is don't claim the name of God falsely. Don't say you're a Christian when you're not. Don't say you're a believer when you're not. Um, I wish I had the letter. It would be so fun to read it. Maybe I can get it for you and read it uh, this evening. We, uh, I was in New York City uh, looking for, uh, going to, through bookstores with Dalton Robertson. And um, we were walking through Washington Square Park, and we saw this beautiful church building. And as I was looking at the building, there's a certain architecture that is associated with Baptist church buildings, meeting houses that they called them. Um, same thing happened to me. I was in Troy, and I was going down the street, and I saw this building. I said, you know, that was an old Baptist meeting house, and it was First Baptist Church in Troy. It, it, it's, it, there's an architecture. And so we went and looked at it, and it was the Judson Memorial Baptist Church. So it was named after Adoniram Judson. And so Dalton went home and looked them up on their website. We knocked on the door, and they actually gave me a book that's a history of that church. But Dalton went home and looked up uh, that church on the website. Now, for those of you who don't know, Dalton Robertson, he pastors in Callahan, Florida, Liberty Baptist Church, um, and he's a close friend. He wrote the Why Baptist book with me and all those things. So Dalt um, looks up on their website, and they're saying, we're a different kind of Baptist church. And it's this woman pastor describing the kind of church that they are. They're going to have, they were, they were advertising a theatrical production they were doing and come and we'll have beer and nudity. Now, how many of you think that's a different kind of Baptist church? And so Dalt writes them a letter, writes this, this woman a letter. And it's just hilarious. And I'm going to try and get the letter and read it to you. And then her response to the letter. And you see, that is not Christian. An understanding of the gospel and what grace brings. We quoted that verse in our Sunday school class. For the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared from heaven to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we should live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world. Right? That's what grace does. It, it changes our behavior. It changes the way that we live. And there are many things, many organizations that are calling themselves Christian that are completely removed from the gospel. All right? So what we have to come back to is what is a Christian? A Christian's a follower of Christ, right? And they were first called Christians in Antioch. What was the church in Antioch doing? They were preaching and teaching the Bible. They were excluding people from membership that were not living right. They expected holy lives. 
They taught the Scriptures. They sent out missionaries, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They were sent out, and then those missionaries would come back to that church in Antioch and give a report. So it was a church. That's where they were called Christians. What do you have to do to become a Christian? Well, you've got to be really good. Right? You've just got to be really good. You've got to you know, have some water sprinkled on you when you're a baby. And that makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? You've be born again. How are you born again? Repentance toward God, faith toward Jesus Christ. That's, that's the gospel. You repent toward what your God was. Now my God is going to be the one true God who... Demands righteousness and holiness. Well, I can't be righteous and holy. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Repentance toward God. Faith toward Jesus Christ. That makes you a Christian. So if you have an organization that does not preach the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone, salvation by grace through faith plus nothing, not baptism or church membership or good works, if you have a Gospel that's just a clear and plain, unadulterated gospel. If you have anything that's added to that, that's no longer Christian. What is that? That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Who is a Christian named after? Christ. Is Christ anywhere identified as the Lord? Of course. Is He anywhere identified as God? Of course. So when you call yourself a Christian, but you're really not, according to Zechariah chapter 5, that's a really bad place to be. Here in Zechariah, if they are calling themselves the people of God, God's people, the Jews, and they are claiming to be connected with the temple of God, well, that claim is what is going to judge them. It's an amazing text. Um, So, let's dive into this and try and get some understanding. Look at what it says in verse 3. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. All right, this, the Bible says that this scroll, this roll that has the, the commandments, two commandments, one on each side, the heart of the law that enters into a house that it is a curse. It's a curse. Let's try to get in let's, let's make sure that we understand that this flying roll is. Go to Ezekiel chapter 2. Look at verse 9 before I read that. Why don't you all think about something? Look up here with me. Anybody here glad you're saved? That you're under the grace of God? You know, we're going to look at some judgment that's coming that's identified in this text as we compare the Scripture. Um, And I know sometimes people think, man, I don't want to look at that judgment. You know, I kind of feel the same way. But do you know what the opposite of judgment is? It's grace. Mercy. And God wants you to experience that mercy. 
It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He is the propitiation for our sins. That's the satisfactory payment. He's the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. We quoted the Titus 2.8, that the grace of God hath appeared from heaven to all men. God wants everybody to be saved. And so He makes it very clear in the Bible what happens to those people who receive the Word of God and reject what it says. There's a penalty for that. I want you to, everybody, take your Bible and just kind of hold it up like this. All right? And just look at it. This is a very dangerous book. That's what we're going to see in this message. This is a very, very dangerous book. When you let this into your house and you read it, well, then you're accountable for it. So, how many of you here, you can put your Bible down now. How many of you here, some of you, like Dan Du couldn't even lift his. He, he has a hoist for his. It's, it's poster size. <laughs> Do we have any Christians in here? All right, so you're calling yourself a Christian. Be careful you're not swearing falsely. Because if you do, the Bible's going to destroy you. If you have committed your life to Christ, has anyone here done that? You said, Lord, you're, I'm yours. And yet you're keeping your life back. What's that? That's stealing. That's stealing. What is the whole point of Zechariah 5, verses 1 through 4? that this role is going to come and judge people and it becomes a curse to those people who are stealing and swearing falsely. How many of you would say, let's not do that? Right? You know, it, it's, it's like you, you buy a pillow and it's in a plastic bag and there's a message printed all, all over this. Please do not put this over your head. Really? Somebody have to tell you that? How many of you know not to put a plastic bag over your head? You all know that? Really? Don't. But how many of you think it would be a bad idea, especially after having read that, to put it over your head? Well, let's find out why. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you, you get this acid that you're going to pour down your, your drain. It says, do not drink this. You know, I, I'm a little constipated. Maybe this will help. Drano. How many of you get that you really ought to take that warning. Not meant for internal use or whatever it says. Right? It ought to say, don't drink this. It'll mess you up really bad. You know, if you're dumb enough to need that warning, they need to use smaller words. Right? And yet the Bible's very clear. Don't steal from God. Don't steal from God. Now, I know someone in here is going to be thinking, he's just talking about money. He's trying to get money for chairs. Yeah, you never know. No, no, the context of this is very much, you say you're God's people, give Him your life. You all agree with that? Can you see that very clearly That when the Bible talks about that? You're His. What? No, you're not. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So then if you don't give that to Him, what are you doing? You're stealing. It's... 
Now, but the good news is, the good news is, by the grace of God and by His Holy Spirit, you can give yourself completely to Him. Isn't that wonderful? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You mean you have to walk after the Spirit in order for there to be no condemnation? No, you can't walk after the Spirit unless there's no condemnation. Isn't that awesome? So the good news is, yes, there's judgment in the Bible, but the better news is there's grace and mercy that's available. Don't ignore it. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Today. All right, now, where was I? All right, Ezekiel chapter 2, look at verse 9. And when I looked, behold, a man was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. So he gives this, this role, and it's the Word of God. And the Word of God, and this is what we need to get from this so clearly, the Word of God isn't something that you accept in, in, uh, intellectually. Now, of course, you need to accept it intellectually, but it must be consumed. It must be consumed. What did Jesus say? Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. The, the gospel must be consumed. The Word of God must be consumed. It's got to fill you. You've got to be filled with the Word of God, with the Word of life. Um, back in Zechariah. Zechariah. But how is this Word? In verse 3 it says, Then he said unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. This is the curse that's over the face of the whole earth. Look at the way that God handles His judgment. Go to Exodus chapter 9. Verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, uh, Exodus 9, 1, then, saith, or then the Lord saith unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go and wilt hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep, there shall be very a very grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children of it, children's of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died... But if the cattle of the children of Israel died not one, 
So here's the idea. Do you see what happened here? God promised that this grievous moraine was going to come through. And it's, just, it's, just, it's, a, it's a disease that would affect the cattle and they would die. And so God judged the cattle of all of Egypt, but Israel's were all okay. In the middle, they're, they're living together. And the judgment of God fell on the Egyptians, but not on the Israelites. So His judgment is selective. His judgment is selective. But where does it begin? Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, look at verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin where? At the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them which obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved... Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. It's just amazing how creation comes into this so often. I'm not going to talk about that. But where does the Bible say that judgment begins? In the house of God. What's the book of Zechariah about? Zechariah is about continue building the house of God. Then the Bible says that this role is going to enter into the houses and it's going to deal with those that are thieves and those that are swearing falsely. God's going to deal with those people in Judaism. He's going to deal with Israel in a way that's going to consume them and burn them up. But here in the New Testament, it says judgment begins at the house of God. Now, we understand that in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple and everything. Is that right? But when Jesus Christ died, what's the first thing that happened? That veil in the temple was rent in two. That temple was judged. God's presence would no longer be in that temple. Where does judgment begin? At the house of God. You say, what, a, what does that have to do with the churches? Well, I want you to think about something. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Right? The Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was in the flesh, preached among men, seen of angels. It's just justified in the Spirit. It's just an amazing passage. But it says very clearly in that text that the house of God is now the church of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. Well, we're under grace. We don't have to worry about that. Tell that to Ananias and Sapphira. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They said they were believers, right? And they promised the, 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 sale, the, the proceeds from a sale of land to the Lord. And so what happened? They came and told Peter that, okay, here's the money that we got, and it wasn't all the money. What did God do? He killed them. Why? Because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They swore falsely and they stole from God and God killed them. How many of you believe that's in the Bible? Did you raise your hand? you believe that's in the Bible? Well, what should they have known that judgment begins at the house of God? Judgment begins at the house of God. You say, man, this wouldn't happen to us. This, this wouldn't happen to us. Go to Hebrews chapter 12.
Look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, that's the, he, the we've just looked at the witnesses are those in chapter 11. Um, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let's continue, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art, see the first one, rebuked of him. There's, there's, a, there's a level in this text. The first thing that God does is he rebukes you. He rebukes you. Now, how many of you enjoy being rebuked? Man, I don't like it when somebody tells me I'm wrong. I don't like that. And what's interesting is you young people, all you teenagers, look up here at me. All right? What happens with... If a child is disciplined properly, they respond to, cor to, to correction well. We understand that in the book of Proverbs, there are basically two people represented, the wise man and the fool, the wise man and the scorner, right? The, so there's a fool and a scorner, and the fool and the scorner, they refuse instruction. The wise man accepts it. You rebuke a scorner and he'll hate you, the Bible says, right? So now with a child... You teach that child to obey, and you teach them to obey with the right attitude. Are you all with me so far? Right? How many of you understand what it means to obey with the right attitude? How many of you get that? That's what is expected of children. No, not all of your children. Only those of you who are trying to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The rest of you are doing something else. Right? But those of you who want to raise your children biblically, you understand that they're to obey immediately in the right spirit, with the right attitude. How many of you get that's what the Bible wants them to do? Right? That's what obedience is. I don't want to. That's not obedience. All right? That's asking for the rod. That's what the Bible says. All right? The blueness of the wound purifies the soul. What, what is that in reference to? Rebuking a fool and a scorner. You beat it from him is what the Bible says. Drive it from him. All right, so now we're establishing children. If parents really do love them, if, if they just want to treat them like a bastard, they don't do this. But if they want to treat them like a legitimate child, this is what they do. How many of you are following me so far? All right. You shouldn't use words like that. We'll see. All right? So, we're establishing what we should do with our children. They're to obey immediately in the right spirit. If they have a bad attitude, what is that? Why did, God, why did the children of Israel die in the wilderness? Somebody tell me. What was the disobedience? Murmuring. Complaining. God killed them because they complained. How many of you get that? Right? So when your children, I don't want to clean my room. Yeah. Let me help you want to. When I get done with you, you won't be able, you, you're, you can't wait to get to your room to clean it. Right? Why? 
because I'm trying to teach obedience in the right spirit. So now when a child, when the, you know, the like 5%, uh, no, the, the one-tenth of 1% one of Christians that actually raise their children right, and a hush fell on the congregation. Wouldn't it be great if our whole church was a part of that one-tenth of 1% one where our children understand what immediate obedience is? Right? Any man that can't control a three-year-old has serious problems. Oh, we can't go out to eat. Our kids won't sit still. I can help. All right. Now, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic. It's just true. How many of you recognize that that's a real problem in our generation? Seriously. You recognize that it's a real problem. How many of you recognize it's a problem in our church? Would you raise your hand? Anyone been in the nursery lately? It's a problem in our church. Let's get this right. So now, uh, th those of us who understand scripturally, it's not, we didn't make it up. God said it. We're just trying to obey the Bible. That when you teach that child to, to obey in the right spirit, well, then they grow into teenagers. Do you know what happens when they become teenagers? Satan, Beelzebub, enters into them. <laughs> no, it just seems that way. What happens? They have these hormones raging in them. And they're growing and they're... Then all of a sudden... Come here, Jake. They're not little anymore. And you rebuke them, just like you do when they're little. And when you're little and you rebuke them, and you've taught them how to handle it properly, they do what they're supposed to. Then all of a sudden... The boy is turning into a man. Say hi. Hi. See? <laughs> right? Lydia sounds the same. No. <laughs> that was good. Um, now look. Now I rebuke him and the look becomes listening, not rebelling, but you can see. They don't like it. How many of you experienced that with your teenagers? Anybody? Right? If you've not experienced with your teenagers, it's because you don't have teenagers. All right? You, you, you say it to them, and you've raised them properly. You've done what you're supposed to do, but as they become adults, they want to do it their own way. Hey, I know what I'm supposed to do. You know, they still need parents. They still need parents. So what you do is, what you start with, with the teenager, is the rebuke. Jacob, you're not doing that right. You need to do this right. Don't do this. Do this. What you're doing right there, that's not right. What I just saw, that's not right. What is that? That's a rebuke. You could just say, oh, Puddin', you're a good boy. You're just a baby. How many of you think that would be a bad idea to deal with your teenage boy that way? All right? Richard Simmons, School of uh, Child Rearing. Thanks. Let's sit down. So what happens is you're dealing with your child and you begin with the rebuke. That's where it starts, with the rebuke. Now the child has a choice. Accept the rebuke and change. Do right. Is that right? If they don't, what happens? All you teenagers, you looking? You looking at the Bible? All you guys, you looking at the scriptures? Or are you talking with each other? All right, look at the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, look at what it says. 
verse 5 again, middle of the verse. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Then what comes next after the rebuke? And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now I want you to think about something. Do you realize how many Christians in America think it's wrong to spank their children? Most of them. You know what? They give them a time out. Right? A time out. I wish someone would give me... I could use a time out right now. Please, let me have a time out. You know, I like what one guy said. Time out was what my mom took in between spankings. <laughs> you know, the, the, our, our culture... These same people that don't want their children to be spanked have their kids play football. They'll knock the snot out of your head. But don't spank them. These are the same people. They have their little girl as a cheerleader. They throw her 50 feet in the air, but don't spank her. How many of you think people are nuts? They're just nuts. Look at what the Bible says. They respond to the rebuke or they're scourged. Verse 7. Look at the end of verse, or look at verse 6 again. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth some of the sons whom he receiveth. What's it say? Every son. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now let me say something. That word has lost its meaning in our culture. You know, 70% of the African American children that are born are born outside of wedlock. So the, 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 the negative connotation of that is lost on that community. I think something like half, 40-some percent of white children are born outside of wedlock. Right? The, the Bible gives us the word for that. It's not good. See, because in, in the Roman culture and in the culture that was around when the Bible was written, there were the, the men would commit adultery and children would be born of those relationships, and the father would not acknowledge that child. And then that child was exposed. You know what that means? They would take that child and just take, go outside the city and leave it there, this baby, and leave it there. That's called a, they, they would exposure. They would expose the child to the elements, and the child would just die. It was abortion before you know, it became palatable. And be careful with this uh, Obamacare. Uh, all these little clinics that are opening up all over the country, these hospitals that are being built, they're called clinics, they'll all do abortions. All right? Uh, they'll expose their children. And, of course, Christians all taught against that. You can read the, what they wrote about that in the first century. But what they would do is they would take this child that they would not acknowledge as their own and they would just put it outside. And that child was the bastard. Bible says if you really love your child, you're going to treat that child right and you're going to chasten that child 
which will include scourging. The Bible uses the word in the Old Testament, use the rod. Use the rod. That is very offensive to people in our culture because they reject the word of God. So now, what does this have to do with our message? The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. Some of you are having a hard time in life. Well, the Bible makes it very clearly that the way, makes it very clear that the way of the transgressor is hard. You don't order your home right, you know what you're going to have? A hard life. Young people, you don't obey. You don't learn what it means to submit to authority. You don't learn what that means. Y'all look up here. Some of you are having a hard time submitting right now. You're just like, pastor's talking to me. I don't have to look. You're not, you're not important. You don't matter. Why should I respect you by looking at you? How many of you folks know that's exactly what that means? How many of you know that's what that means? Now, it could be they just weren't paying attention, which that happens. That's me, right? That's my life. Bird. So if you weren't looking at me, it might be that you weren't paying attention. It might be that you don't respect. See, you're going to have a hard life. You're going to have a hard way. You don't learn to handle things properly. The way of the transgressor is hard. And the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. And God will chasten people in the church who don't behave properly. The Bible is so clear on that. And there are two things, according to Zechariah, that he's judging. Are you stealing from God? And are you naming His name falsely? Does your life match up with your profession? If not, you're going to be chastened. Have you committed to the Lord? Have you committed your life to the Lord? You know, you, you, the, the Lord will convict you in a sermon, and you say, I'm not going to do that anymore, and that only lasts until you get home. That commitment goes away. Do you think that God just ignores that? Or will He chasten you? How many of you believe that if, if, if you're saved, how many of you believe God will chasten you? You know what our problem is now? We have so many things in the world that can alleviate the chastening of God. Whether it's medicine, whether it's government help, or just people who willingly accept sinful behavior around them. Look, the Bible is so clear on all of this. Um, go back to Zechariah with me. Let me move on. You know what? I think that that is as far as I'm going to go today. I want to say this. Isn't God's grace wonderful? But I think that we have a misunderstanding of grace. Grace doesn't mean that God will allow us to do whatever we want to do, sin or not. Now, aren't you glad that when you are in Christ, you can't get out of Christ? Isn't that a blessing? And so what happens is we have this saying that, that people say, they accuse us of believing this. So you believe once saved, always saved. How many of you have ever had somebody say that to you? And what I'd like to say back to that person, well, you believe once in hell, always in hell. How many of you believe that? Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, they're, they're cor- heaven and hell are corresponding opposites. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. Those are the only options. So now, because you're going to heaven, that means that you're in Christ and that you're a son of God. Right? He speaks to us as sons, the Bible says. So now we're sons, and He's our Father, and that means He's going to rebuke us, and He's going to chasten us, and you had better not despise the chastening that comes from God. Now let me help you with something. That word despise in your Bible, that means ignore, disregard, or this. Young people, here's what it means to despise. When I'm talking to you, and you go like this. That's exactly what it means. You see, that correction of God, when you ignore that rebuke, when you ignore that rebuke, do you know what comes next? The scourge. I want you to think about what a scourge was. A scourge is a leather whip that would take strips of your body off. That's what God says. That's what God says He'll do to us. Now, I know that there are people who are thinking, well, that's not the God I know. Well, then you don't know the God of the Bible. You know, Maybe you got it from Betty Crocker. I don't know where you got that God, but it's not the God of the Bible. The Bible says that He scourges every son. How many of you want to be scourged? I don't, so let's listen to the rebuke. Let's listen to the rebuke. Look, in a group this size, isn't it good to look around here? The place is full. We need the chairs. It's so cool to look around and see all of this. But I promise you, in this room, there are people that are not listening to the rebuke and the scourge is about to fall. The scourge might already be falling on you. Are you listening? Remember what the Bible says? Incline your ear unto me. What does God have to do to get your attention? Remember when your kids were little? Did you ever help them? Come here, Jake. Look at me. Anyone ever do that? Right? What were you doing? You're getting their attention. My mom had this spot right here. Anybody else, your mom do that to you? Right? Right underneath my arm. Especially during church when she couldn't beat me openly. (laughs) She'd get me right there. What was she doing? She was getting my attention. That's the rebuke. How will God... You can sit. How will God get your attention? I don't know. I don't know. Some people are really stubborn. And it's harder to get their attention. Right? Like the old farmer who was selling this guy a mule. And the guy tried to pull the mule. mule wouldn't come. farmer got out, got his two-by-four out, hit the mule in the head. Mule moved for a little bit. Then it stopped. Farmer got that two by four, hit that mule in the head. Mule started going. A little while later, he stopped. Farmer pulled out a shotgun and shot him. Boom. Teenager said, Dad, why'd you do that? His dad said, That's once. <laughs> That's funny. I want you to think about something. Anybody here, you were the mule-headed one. Would you raise your hand? You'll admit it. You'll admit it. You're the mule-headed one. 
I love it when mule-headed ones are married to each other. <laughs> keeps me in business. Um, <laughs> all right. So again, if you're the, seriously, you're the mule-headed one. Oh, just hold your hand up. Just everybody look around. Everybody look around. Man, some of you young people, you're just liars. Hold your hands up. All right. You're the mule-headed one. Lydia, you'd better have your hand up. Okay. Now, look. Laura, did you have your hand up? Okay. Now, now look. Those of, those of us who are mule-headed, have you ever noticed that you guys run into harder things in life than those that are not? How many of you ever noticed that? It just happens. It's just coincidence. No. The way of the transgressor is hard. That's why, you know what we need to pray for? A contrite heart, a humble spirit, a teachable spirit. Do you know sometimes the only thing that will give you that is pain? The only thing that will give you that is pain. The electrician has to get shocked. You know? It's just so amazing the way that we are, the thing that makes us careful. The Bible says in Zechariah, and next week, Lord willing, we'll broaden it out so you can see the whole teaching. But what it says is, God had told the people, don't steal, don't swear falsely. The temple is back. And God is telling those people, I'm going to judge you by my own holiness, by my own presence. I'm going to judge you by that. And I'm going to judge you based on how you respond to my word. That's what the Bible says. Look here at Grace Baptist Church, do we spend any time in the Word? And yet we still have parents that can't control their kids. Let me tell you something. You are going to be under the judgment of God. You're not condemned. You're going to go to heaven, but that chastisement, it's going to be rough. Amen? And it might be you have a child that completely breaks your heart. It might be you have a child that gets killed. Because they're foolish. You understand foolish teenagers die every day? Right? Have you seen that book, The Darwin Awards? That's those who demonstrate the survival of the fittest. You know, the guy that's checking to see if his gas can is full with a cigarette lighter? Things like that, right? Foolish things. Well, you're supposed to drive that foolishness from your child. If you don't, they'll bear in their own bodies the results of that foolishness. How many of you believe that God's serious? Are you stealing? Are you bearing false witness? Swearing falsely? What are you doing? You said you're going to give your whole life to God. Do you have time for God? I'm sure that in this room, God has spoken to you about something in your life that you've committed to Him. I hope that every parent, I hope that all of us, think about how our children respond to instruction, to rebuke, to chastening. I hope that all of us believe that that Bible's a dangerous book. And once you see truth, it can't be unseen. And now you're accountable for it. You're accountable for it. 
Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace and your mercy.